formally welcome everyone to tonight's CCL training program. It's a weekly webinar of Citizens Climate Lobbies that provides CCL supporters like you and I with access to in-depth training opportunities on topics related to climate change and effective climate advocacy. I'm your host, Brett Cease, and tonight we're going to be diving into exploring the power of intergenerational conversations. This training will be led by the brilliant team behind the Intergenerational Conversations Guide, that's going to explore how we can use this toolkit as volunteers to expand the climate movement. The Intergenerational Conversations team will walk the audience through how to use the guide to talk about climate change across generations and share stories about the power of these intergenerational conversations and their own experiences so far. We'll then have the chance to share some examples of how intergenerational actions are already and can continue to drive political will across our policy agenda area. And buckle up, because we're also going to be engaging you with some interactive poll questions. So I'm already going to tip our hand here to ask you to start thinking as you're listening tonight about how you might want to use this locally, about any other suggestions that you have on ways that we can continue to amplify this in your work. And we'll get to that after the presentation. We're going to be joined by the wonderful Vanessa Gonzalez Rickner, a wonderful high school student, key to designing the guide. We'll be joined as well by Bob Loeb, the founder of support aarpclimateaction.org. We're also going to be joined by Sin Ng, a freshman at Baruch College, as well as our student engagement manager, Stephanie Mungia, and our youth action coordinator, our fearless youth action coordinator, I should say, Sharon Begatel. And if we've done our job well, we're going to walk away with the following three learning goals tonight. We're going to have everyone have the chance to find out a little bit more and explore the importance of why intergenerational conversations matter and are an effective tool for action around climate change. We're also going to introduce you to what that guide looks like, the ultimate guide to intergenerational climate conversations. Who wouldn't want to find out more with that title? And we'll also have the chance to identify ways that you can apply this in your outreach and policy work locally, wherever you might be tuning in from. So with that, though, I will pass it to Stephanie. Thank you all so much for being here. It's a real treat to have you tonight and you're in for a wonderful presentation. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Brett. I really appreciate having the space to share the great work of this team with all of you and all of CCL. Uh, so for tonight, we're gonna hear a little bit from Bob first about why intergenerational conversations are important. Then Vanessa is gonna step in and walk us through the ultimate guide that this team co-created. We're going to hear from Sin a little bit about what we've learned through the process of developing that guide and soliciting feedback from different parts of the network, both within CCL and outside of it. Sharon is gonna share some great ideas of how CCLers can start applying this toolkit to your own advocacy and outreach to connect with younger audiences and leverage those younger audiences to connect with more, uh, more potential CCLers and climate advocates. As Brett mentioned, we are going to have an interactive portion. So please, as you are listening, um, just bookmark those ideas because we want to hear them. We really believe that um, the guide is as strong as it is because we've gotten so much feedback so far and we're really excited to open it up to all of your feedback tonight. And of course, we'll end with some Q&A and discussion. So we'll have plenty of time to uh, pepper our speakers with some questions about what brought them to this project and what, they've, what they hope for it uh, to do in the future. Uh, before we jump into it, I do also want to acknowledge a few other folks who contributed to this project along the way, who you don't see in the speaker lineup tonight, but were instrumental. Uh, those were Ara Vickers, who was our Pacific Northwest Climate Advocacy Fellow last year, 
and Amelia Fernandez Rodriguez, who was uh, working on the Denver Public Schools for Climate Action campaign and also contributed quite a bit um, in just her broad experience of getting young people engaged in climate action. In addition, as I said, thank you to all of you might, who might be on the line or watching this live or in recorded format who tested out our first draft and gave us some great feedback. I hope you'll see in the final product that we'll be sharing tonight uh, that we really took that feedback to heart and we can't wait to get even more to make our additional resources more useful to you. So with that, um, I am so excited to turn it over to Bob to talk to us about this first topic, why intergenerational climate conversations. Thanks very much, uh, Stephanie. Um, uh, basically, what I, what I want to do is tell you the story of how I got involved in uh, climate work. Um, uh, basically, we all have one overriding problem uh, that faces all of us, and that's how to motivate people to actually take action. Um, and um, it, it's, it, it confronts everyone. And we're not talking about just, you know, to, to sign a petition, but to actually take uh, concrete action that can make a difference. Um, and uh, in other words, I had given lip service to climate issues. I'd signed petitions, but basically I hadn't done much. And uh, what happened to me is that um, uh, I was having a discussion with my daughter uh, having heard um, heard a presentation um, uh, from uh, you know about climate, uh, and we were discussing some of the issues. And um, in the middle of this, she said, "You know, this really isn't about issues. This is about my future." She started talking to me in very personal terms about how the climate crisis was beginning to affect her. She's she's a millennial. She's uh, at a time of her life when she's starting a relationship, uh, she has a family, um, and and she was expressing to me uh, concerns in a very personal way that I really hadn't uh, uh, I hadn't heard before, and it had a big impact on me. Um, and it, it was the motivation for me to start thinking, well, what could I do? I don't want my daughter to have to face a world like this. Um, it had nothing to do with an argument. Uh, it, you know, it had nothing to do with facts and figures. It had to do with suddenly realizing my own flesh and blood was going to be affected by this in very profound ways. Um, and uh, as a result of that, I started a project, uh, um, which is now taking a lot of my time. It's It, it involves bringing AARP uh, into the climate fight and with its 38 million members and trying to motivate them. Um, a similar story you all may be familiar with, and that has to do with Bob Inglis, a former uh, board member of uh, CCL and on the advisory committee. He was a, uh, as many of you may know, he was a very conservative congressman, not particularly interested or uh, involved in anything to do with climate. He came from a very uh, conservative district in the South, and uh, and and you know there there was really no reason you know in his mind, given who he was representing, to get involved until one day his 18-year-old son approached him and said, "Dad, you know, I'm not going to be able to uh, to support you in the next election. I've supported you in every election. 
I love you. I, I, I want to support you. But, you know, my life is going to be affected by this climate crisis in profound ways long after you're gone. And it's hard for me to, uh, you know, to think about supporting any politician now who doesn't take my future seriously. And this had a profound impact on him, which he's talked quite a bit about, um, because it was personal. And uh, he, he went through a process of educating himself, learning, and eventually became the person who introduced the, uh, uh, the first carbon tax legislation. Um, so our children actually do have quite a power to motivate us. Um, and it's not through argument. It's not through convincing them that there's a climate crisis. I mean, at this point, if, if you listen to the news every night, you know there's a climate crisis. Um, it's, it's a personal connection that, uh, and concern for people we deeply care about that really gets people to move. And, and that lies behind this, this project. We developed a, um, a guide for fostering these kinds of uh, conversations, young people with their older relatives. And you'll be learning about that uh, in just a, just a moment or two. Um, uh, one of the reasons that uh, this is particularly relevant now is that we have a tremendous opportunity. Um, you see the last bullet point on the slide, it talks about this big challenge to move from exhortation to implementation. This is a, this is a phrase that Bill McKibben developed after the passage of the uh, um, IRA uh, and, and all the climate provisions associated with it. He said, you know, now it's not so much trying to convince people anything about anything. They actually have to take the personal actions that are going to move us toward a clean economy. We've got all the policy uh, or many of the policies that we need now in place through the IRA. How are we going to motivate people to overcome the natural inertia, the, uh, um, the fear about, you know, uh, you know, actually, actually having to change things in their own homes and their own, uh, or with their cars or with their schools. Um, how do we get them uh, to actually act? And I think this kind of intergenerational discussion that we're talking about not only provides a motivation, but it also provides a foundation for that action. Families can operate uh, together to make these changes in their homes, in their transportation, in their communities, with their schools, with their houses of worship. Um, uh, this, this provides the framework for the kinds of personal actions now that are critical to speeding the conversion to clean energy. So uh, that's, that's basically the idea behind the whole project. And uh, I'll turn it over now to uh, Vanessa, to give you an idea of the tool that we developed um, uh, to actually help do this. Yeah, thanks, Bob. Um, so our guide, we've been meeting for probably a little over a year now, um, this group, this intergenerational group of people. Um, and we've been kind of putting together this, this guide as a way of encouraging those conversations that Bob talked about. So basically it's this user-friendly instructional packet. It's just a few pages long. 
um, to encourage people to kind of to get them going, starting having these important intergenerational climate conversations that can be so impactful. Um, it's aimed at teens, but it really works for anyone because we need to um, bridge all age, um, age gaps um, and be working with all generations in order to really um, be effective. Um, so it doesn't matter if intergenerational is someone is like a senior talking to um, their children or if it's a teenager talking to their parents, um, any of those any of those ways are very important conversations we need to have. Um, so we try to leave the guide open-ended so that you, so we're not just saying you say this and then this, the, they answer this and then you say this. We have some conversation starters. We have ideas of what are important things to talk about, but we don't, we're trying to leave it open-ended for them. So why should we discuss climate change with, climate change with older relatives? Um, Bob talked about this a little bit earlier. But while young people are more, most likely to be affected by climate change in the future, currently old, older, um, older people are more affected because they're often less mobile um, or will have like health issues that are more affected by climate change now. So it's really, it really is important to older generations, even if they don't completely notice it. Um, also, while young people have often been the people the ones taking the lead in the climate action fight, um, older people are actually more likely to be voting. Um, and so we need to, and also there's this important, if you're talking to people who you care about, people in your family, uh, uh, older people um, who you are close with otherwise, um, it's that that sense of mutual respect that, um, that Bob was talking about is very important in um, getting um, is, is getting in getting the message across. Um, if we want to uh, change people's minds, it's much more effective if I'm talking to someone, if I'm talking to a parent, than if I'm talking to some stranger that I just um, ran across. So yeah, so the per who can you talk with? This could be anyone who you um, will. In general, we are aiming towards people who are older than you, although it could be someone younger than you, but really anyone who you are close with, who you feel cares about your well-being and you care about theirs. It's not, the most important part is not what their views are, their political views are or whatever. As long as it's, what's important is that you feel that they respect you. It can be someone who's already on board about climate change, but you think could take more action. It could be someone who doesn't even believe climate change exists, but you could, but you're trying to explain to them how it affects you and trying to show, show this importance. And how do you start this conversation? There's a lot of ways you can get started. Um, it kind of depends on what your relationship with this person is or, or whatever, but one way you could start is why did you get interested in climate action? This could be something you've seen on the news. This could be a personal experience you've had with climate change, with having to be like evacuated from a, because of a storm or extreme heat, just um, messing, messing up your summer. Any, it, it can range, there's a huge range of things it could be. You could also talk about thoughts for your future. Like Bob was saying, this can be like, I'm worried about the next generations. I'm worried about um, whether my future is gonna be livable. 
any of those, if that's what you're feeling is important to talk about. There are a lot of challenges you might encounter, obviously. It's difficult to have start a conversation with anyone, specifically, especially if someone you haven't really talked about climate change um, with before. So some of the issues you might encounter are finding the right time. If it's important when you have this conversation for there not to be a lot of distractions. You could be on a walk or something like that, but you don't want them to be on their phones, not paying attention because it's not gonna be a productive conversation that way. You also, if they're getting into, if you're getting into an argument, that's also a big fear for really anyone who's having this conversation. Um, so the, what's the most important is that if they say that they disagree with you, you don't want to push back and just say, well, you're wrong. That's not really gonna get you anywhere. You can ask for them to give an example of what they're talking about or ask them to point you to an article. What's most important is that you're listening um, and you're also pausing to think about your response so that you're not giving an automatic answer, which is just going to offend them and not going to get you anywhere. Um, you can also ask, how is the conversation going um, to get kind of a feel for how they're feeling about this conversation, because it's really not all about you. It's about this exchange. Um, another important thing as you're bridging generations is vocabulary divides. Since uh, since there's, a, especially when it talk, comes to talking about something like climate change, there's a lot of jargon involved with that. If you're talking about, say, um, environmental justice, intersectionality, even like IRA, those words aren't necessarily things that everyone's going to understand and they could throw someone off because they don't understand or because they have political connotations. You might, you might um, consider using different terminology, like instead of calling it the climate crisis, just call it climate change and things like that if, they, if you feel like they might be turned off by that language. Another thing is lack of expertise. And the most important thing about that is that, remember, we're not talking about a debate where I give you my facts and you give you you give me um, your facts. This is about you and you are the biggest expert on you. Um, so you don't have to worry a ton about whether you really know the precise definition of a greenhouse gases or whether you can explain what the greenhouse effect is. What's most important is that you know how you feel and you know why you care about this. If, and if an issue effect does come up, you can offer to research it together. How do you bring up climate action? While some conversations you might feel it's best to just leave it at, we've had this conversation and they are feeling like they know more about climate change now, especially if you're talking with someone who just has been really reluctant to even acknowledge that climate change exists, that might be the goal in the conversation itself, just to kind of get that in their minds. But if you feel like they're in a place where they could take some climate action, you can start with simple things like signing a petition or calling their members of Congress. Then you can talk about other bigger actions they could take, um, like joining a, a national or local climate organization. If it's a retired person, there are specific uh, um, climate organizations for retired people, um, whatever. Or you can also talk about actions that you can take as a family or with them, like electrifying your home um, and things like that, or even attending lobby meetings together. Um, and then we'll talk about that later, but that that's the general gist of how our guide works. 
Sin's going to talk um, next about what we've learned. Thanks, Vanessa. Um, so early in the year, we shared this guide with people around us who we thought would be interested in testing it out, uh, like some CCL youth members. Um, and after a first round of testing, we received some feedback that we incorporated into another draft of the guide, um, which we presented at the June conference this year. Uh, some of this feedback included the sections that people found most helpful, which were how do I start the conversation, conversation starters, and how do I deal with challenges that may make conversations difficult. The feedback also included comments about the forum, um, which we implemented in our first version of the guide. Uh, it was not very popular with our testers, so we ended up removing the forum and adding an email for questions instead. Uh, we also got a comment about potentially creating a secondary guide for follow-up conversations, um, but we decided not to pursue that since our focus is on uh, starting these conversations. Now, we did receive feedback on the guide from the CCL conference participants, but we unfortunately do not have access to those results at this moment. Uh, we do hope, though, that this guide will continue to grow and evolve, and we look forward to seeing how um, the feedback from the conference may influence the guide in the future. So moving on to my takeaways and reflections, I remember joining CCL almost like two years ago. I wasn't too active within the group because of my schoolwork, but last summer, my high school, Phillips Academy, uh, they hosted a trip for our sustainability coalition to go to the June CCL conference. Uh, you can see on the screen, um, that's a picture of the group that I went with. That's us at a lobby meeting with Rep Moulton from Massachusetts um, after the conference activities. Uh, I had never gone to a conference before that, and I thought the experience was so informative and so fun. Um, in high school, I was also a steering member of the Massachusetts CCL Youth Action Team and worked with them for about one to two years. And I honestly can't even remember when I joined the Intergenerational Climate Conversations Team because it feels like so, so long ago. But we built this guide from the bottom up and the entire journey was so exciting. Uh, now, I've been doing some reflections and I first joined this group because I wanted to do whatever I could to support climate activism. I was just a high schooler, um, just going along, attending classes, doing my homework, and working as a part of this group on the side. I also lobbied a little bit with my schoolmates here and there, and at the time, that's where I found my voice in the climate movement, through lobbying. Um, as a young person, my motivation to do this work lay in connecting with other climate-motivated youth and the general desire to make some sort of impact. Um, recently, I've been reflecting on why I decided to stay, though. I remember earlier this year, around the time I was graduating from high school, we were sort of reevaluating our goals for the group, and I was given the option to continue working with this group or to leave and focus on my college career. Uh, I knew that I would be super busy when college started, and I am super busy right now, um, but I said that I would stay with this group um, with little hesitation. And I've been reflecting on why I stayed because I knew I wanted to keep working with the amazing people in this group, um, but I had no clue why. And now I find myself in a unique position because I know that Bob has been able to vote for a while now. Um, and I know that Vanessa will be able to vote soon, but this May I turned 18 and suddenly 
I went from someone who couldn't vote to someone who could. And it was only through working on this project that I realized the true political significance of my vote. Before I turned 18, I used to think that, like, yeah, voting is important, um, but I didn't truly feel that importance. It was more something that I just accepted at the time. I remember Bob in our meetings talking about engaging older voters, and that seemed so distant, but only recently has it hit me that I can vote now. I can vote, and that's like so crazy. Um, in high school, I found my voice through lobbying, and while I don't plan to stop lobbying, my voice can now also be heard through voting. And this made me realize that not only are these intergenerational climate conversations empowering the climate movement, they're also self-empowering. Um, now, the timing of this all just worked out because the elections are coming up soon, and I wanted to use this time to encourage you all to register to vote if you haven't already, and to go vote. I want you all to go have these climate conversations with your parents or grandparents or even your older children and encourage them to vote. I just want you to remember that you have the power to influence, and that's huge. It's way bigger than you realize. So... That's all for me, and I'm going to pass it off to Sharon now. Thanks so much, Sin. Um, th this is why I do what I do. I'm just, I'm just so, so delighted to hear Vanessa and Sin share. Um, so um, conversations can be powerful in and of themselves, um, but let's talk now about how these conversations can spur action. How do intergenerational conversations apply to your efforts as CCLers to build political will for climate solutions? Well, we believe intergenerational conversations can be a tool for grassroots outreach. They can build membership in your chapter. We imagine that when an older person listens to a younger person's heartfelt expression, they will likely say, I hear you, but what can I do? Well, says the younger person, there's this organization called Citizens Climate Lobby, and there are lots of ways you can plug in and take meaningful action. Um, so someone who has not yet been motivated to actually join your chapter could just take that step at the urging of a younger loved one. And conversations between loved ones can serve as a practice for a younger person to speak in a heartfelt way to others, as well as to listen to why someone might not be motivated to engage in climate action. So with this practice, they can then extend these skills to situations with the public. So you can become excellent members of your chapter's tabling team, or powerful presenters at events. And intergenerational conversations can also spur individual or local action that work well with some of CCL's policy areas. So our electrification work is a really good fit for that, um, as Bob and Vanessa already mentioned. Uh, a younger person might help an older person understand the importance of electrification might help them develop a plan to electrify their home or their vehicle and help them access funding through the Inflation Reduction Act, all of those things. 
And conversations might spur an older person to participate in community projects to electrify, or maybe to provide monetary support to that kind of thing. This could happen in an elder's place of worship or workplace, or it might be supporting a local effort to electrify, say, schools in the community, for example. And in fact, our National Youth Action Team is running a campaign called the Great School Electrification Challenge, in which teams of youth ask their school boards to commit to electrify everything. The teams are youth-led, but they have to have an adult sponsor. Older relatives could be that sponsor. They could help a team of students organize, or they might have connections to local school board members, or they can show up as a supportive voice at a school board meeting. All of these are ways that older relatives can be part of taking meaningful action locally. And then there's CCL's healthy forest policy area, which also lends itself well to intergenerational work. Youngers and elders can work together to plant trees at their homes or in their community, uh, or they can support organizations that, that plant trees in their area. And in rural areas, intergenerational conversations might spur a farming family to move towards regenerative farming methods planting trees, sequestering carbon in the soil. Uh, well, we might imagine that older farmers are perpetually stuck in their ways, farmers who've made the switch have often credited their younger family members with being the catalyst for positive change. Um, and if you haven't seen any, there are great documentaries out there about that where older, older farmers um, speak to that very thing. So this same idea can be applied to our grass tops work. Remember grass tops way back when we were getting an endorsement? Um, after practicing with a loved one, a young person can, can be a, a powerful messenger, sharing their experiences, perspectives, concerns about climate change with community leaders. And this might be speaking with school board members as in our school electrification challenge um, or with city council members when seeking passage of a local policy or a resolution or with business owners or faith leaders when seeking endorsements. What kind of actions do you think would lend themselves to working intergenerationally? You all are working on all sorts of great, exciting projects and your local chapters. Where do you think you can really leverage and harness youth voices to build more of that political will? Service projects? Yes, definitely. Lobbying? Absolutely. I think these are both places where there's a great deal of power in having intergenerational participation. Like Sharon said, I think you really struck me, the healthy forest idea, um, just around that kind of general wisdom of planting seeds that will grow into trees you never will sit in the shade of. That's what our, our future generations will, will get to reap. Talking to my grandson, yes. EVP, getting out the vote. Can you imagine the power of having a young person reach out to you and say, I really need you to vote for my future. Talking in chapter meetings with prompts. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's nothing wrong with saying that sometimes young people will need some more coaching, some more steering. All of us could use some more coaching and steering from time to time. And that's a great way to empower them to step up in their leadership. 
saving energy at home. Absolutely. That is such a family activity. I remember when I started riding the climate train and I was the first one telling my parents, why do you keep leaving this light on? We're not in the kitchen all night. Last time I checked. Speaking to families at school events, definitely. Sharing stories from earlier eras about how climate has changed. Yes, that's such an important part. And we did talk a lot about, as Vanessa kind of mentioned, it's more than just young people trying. It's not about young people trying to convince the older people in their lives about anything. It's about opening a dialogue and about us understanding how generations can learn from each other. These are really great suggestions. Bring grandpa to class. Yes, <laughs> that would be great. Amazing community gardens. Great. All right. So let's move on to the next question. What applications can you envision um, for intergenerational climate conversations? Tabling as a resource. Yes. Wonderful. Classrooms. I would love to have some CCLers bring this into the classroom and also bring Sharon's great climate classroom resource with them. Social media snippets, definitely. I think I heard a few snippets from Sin's sharing that will definitely end up on social media with Sin's permission. <laughs> it was a very powerful story about uh, this transformational journey you've been on. Short videos of what this looks like in action. Great to see some of the ideas this group has brought forth validated here. High school clubs, social forums, definitely. Fundraisers, oh, that's a really interesting idea. Climate Impact Explorer, is that an actual tool that exists or is that something that you're proposing we explore? I'd love to hear more about that in the chat. Meeting with local elected officials, more grass tops engagement and sharing with other climate websites. Yes, we would love to share with other organizations. And if you all, you know, you all know your communities well, you're in the thick of the climate action. Um, if you have organizations, that you think could benefit from a resource like this, please do send them our way. We would love to um, reach out to them and make sure that this great tool that Bob and Sin and Vanessa and others have contributed to throughout the last year really gets put to good use. Great ideas. Okay, so the last question we are going to ask you for feedback on is what suggestions do you have for distributing this guide? Make it free, <laughs> make it fun, this is great. I love free and fun. Those are two of my favorite things in life as a college student. <laughs> Local high schools. That's a really good idea. Absolutely. Churches. Thank you, Omar, for sharing that. Yeah, that's a great, great suggestion. Make it a game. Ooh, well, I know our youth action team has some experience with gamifying some challenges. So uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll have to hear from you, Sharon, on, on what you think about that and how we can do it. Having presentations about the guide like this one with other audiences. Printing copies and leaving on subways. Ooh, I kind of like this guerrilla climate activism <laughs> that's coming out here. Bulletin boards and lunchrooms. Absolutely, billboards. Give it out to trick-or-treaters, just getting really seasonal. <laughs> that is wonderful. If you decide to do that, please. Uh, take pictures. That would be hilarious. I'd love to see some copies of this guide just kind of folded up inside a little, little pumpkin trick-or-treat bag. Stands outside stores like real estate. Yeah. Social media and advertisements. Time capsules for the future. That's, that is a really creative idea. 
I love that. And it really plays into that, um, that entire intergenerational piece. These are such great suggestions, everybody. Thank you so much. This is exactly why we wanted to bring it to a room full of CCLers, because we know you all just have the best ideas. If you do have feedback and excellent suggestions on how else to get this out, like Nadine and Omar have provided, please do feel free to reach out to intergenconvos at citizensclimatelobby.org and follow up with anything else that might be helpful that we didn't have time to tonight. Also, before we head out, I do just want to give a quick promo and shout out to all of our young adult action teams from our youth channel on Instagram, as well as our college students channel, and then our websites as well, cclusa.org forward slash youth and citizensclimatehighred.org. So with that, we hope that you found tonight's training empowering and engaging and exciting. We look forward to hearing how you plan on using this in your own work as CCL advocates. Please don't hold back. You can also just email us uh, as highlighted or post in our forums, cclusa.org forward slash forums. We'd love to hear stories of success or feedback from the field. And for now, I'm going to unmute all lines so that we could hear everyone as we sign out tonight. Thank you again so much for being here, everyone. And a huge shout again to Sin and to Vanessa and Bob and the amazing work that Stephanie and Sharon have done in support. Take care, everyone. Take care, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Citizens Climate Lobby's training program. You can tune into more episodes anywhere podcasts are available. Inspired by what you heard today? Join Citizens Climate Lobby to advocate for bipartisan climate solutions. Go to community.citizensclimate.org to find more trainings, resources, your local chapter, national action teams, discussion forums, and more. Be sure to like our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Citizens Climate. We also invite all of our listeners to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more inspiration. Like what you hear? Recommend us to your friends and make sure to give us a five-star rating. It helps us show up on other listeners' feeds. Feel free to pass on any suggestions for future episodes in the comments as well. And together, we are creating the political will for a livable world.